Oh man, I missed you guys. So we are back with a fresh episode of the Council Connection. I am your host, Baby and Vixen. On this episode, we are glad to have Derek Francis from Minnesota to drop in on us and give us some knowledge of some things he's working on. Um, we're also going to talk about the first couple months of school so far. Of course, my housekeeping items and my final thought on Kamala Harris. In this part of the show, I said, let's go. So I pretty much had a month off from recording podcasts, so I miss you guys. I hope you guys miss our show, too. Um, it's just taking a little bit longer breaks, more more relevant content, and things that you guys might want. I hope you can, are continuing to, continue to enjoy them. Um, before I talk about my first three months, I was a guest lecturer for Columbus State with... Um, Dr. Sanifer and her her class, she had a brand new class of students who were starting their program, so I was giving them some insight on some different things, some questions they had. Had a lot of fun, and I hope to do that a lot more going forward. Um, possibly to a role of an adjunct professor, maybe, but we'll see. But if you wonder why I've been out the last month, you know, school life is a little bit busier. Last year I was able to do episodes every week every other week and I just thought this year I wanted to make more meaningful content for counselors instead of just putting something out there every every week or two or something like that so I want I want it to be meaningful and more impactful for you for us counselors to learn from each other so my first three months as a counselor this year during the pandemic have been different uh Let's contact with the students in a sense. Um, a lot of virtual, lot of virtual stuff. Like as far as my core curriculum, I do it through. Of course, I do it through Google Meets. It's one of the platforms my district uses. Um, it's one thing as a as a council we have to do is become more adaptable, more tech savvy, more flexible in the things we do and the way we do them as well. Now you're always gonna have that. Excuse me, you're always gonna have that referral process, and we still have fair share duties. And some council might have those non-school council tasks, such as RTI 504 test assistant coordinator. But during this time right now, we we still have to be flexible, but yet advocating at the same time. That's a very thin line we we have to walk on. I saw a post in our professional school council of color post where somebody had to hold an art class for the day and that person sent the appropriate and non-appropriate duties of the school council to the principal and she still had to do pretty much um, hold a class hold a connection class so that's part of our role sometimes we if we I don't want to sound indignant or anything like that but 
we continue to, even though we don't like holding classes, I've done it before. I've held ISS for multiple days before. I didn't like it, but I had to use that to my advantage to some extent. Now, I, of course, I documented my time and when it, when it came to my evaluation, when I showed my time and the things I've done for the year, I included that. Not only that, but also testing court, system test coordinator and other things that were not appropriate things that counselors should be doing. It did relieve one of the, those duties off my plate. But at the same time, we still must make sure that we're doing this for the kids, not because of what the job we have has us to do or not. We got to take advantage of the things that we we can do with those kids in the time that we have with them. Because yeah, it sucks. We're gonna have to hold a hold an art class or anything like that for four hours out of the seven hours that the students are there. We got to make sure that we're able to do it. So, so some of the things that's during the pandemic. So we also got to understand too that we can't get subs in the building too hard because subs they're scared too to come in the building. So we gotta we gotta be ready to fill those roles as much as possible, or hopefully advocate for less of those roles as possible. And I don't want anybody to take this the wrong way when I say this, also. But if we're, we're our admin to ask us to do those things, and and we refuse to do it, or come up with reasons why not to do it, it could be fall under duties assigned by administrators. So we can get in a lot of trouble for refusing to do it or or continues or refusing to do it or not doing it with, with fidelity or not. But I get the pain of that person. They feel like this is not their job, which is which is true. We do not hold classes. But at the same time we gotta make sure that we are ready to aid in the areas that we can and make sure we have things in place just in case we can't do, we have to do the things that are needed for the building and turn it to a positive for us. If I'm an art class, I'll use some type of art therapy. I'll With those students, I'll do a form, a specialized form of um, core curriculum possibly, but that's neither here or there. That's one of the couple of things I've seen as a counselor during a pandemic so far is we're, we're being asked to do a little bit more than we were tasks to do which is sometimes tough to do and it's tough to swallow but at the same time we, we should do it make it beneficial for us and then and then advocate for the following year to hey this I'm better suited for this role right here because now what she can do now for having an art holding an art class if she did art therapy now she could possibly turn that into a small group with those same students to possibly um you know close those achievement gaps or behavior gaps with those students so there's different ways we can turn those non-essential non-essential tasks that we do into a positive for our program another thing what i've learned while i've been on quarantine and been a counselor as a counselor during a pandemic is that we do a lot of things that sometimes we just don't document and it's part of our comprehensive program i never realized so much paperwork i've been doing until I've documented the things I've done through my calendar and, and put it into Scooter and creating lesson plans and building a um, CTG paperwork and a CSCP, which is a Comprehensive School Council Program format. And especially not having a lot of students and not 
at the beginning of the year, of course, we didn't have any students in the building. It was a little bit tougher because we, we were trying to, you know, just observe class, just sit in there and just, you know, just show our face to, to our kids and kind of get them to know us virtually right now. So a lot of, a lot of different paperwork, a lot of observing classes and just being visible. Um, that's the one thing I can say I'm thankful for with my county I'm in now is that they know they value the role of a counselor. The teachers know our role as a counselor, and, and we try to help teachers out as much as we can. As far as especially, I do. I'm doing a lot more phone calls, and I was doing this in my previous district. I would set up parent conferences for the teachers, so that way that's one less thing they have to worry about. When I set it up, I just check their dates and put it together. So that's not nothing new to me. I didn't, I didn't decry that when when it needed to be done because I was. I was kind of already doing it for my teachers. So if we look at the things I've noticed during the first three months of, of this pandemic school year, I noticed the, the uptick in non-counseling tasks, the, the paperwork that's, that we actually do, the different ways we could be more effective as counselors and the need for advocating for our teachers and aiding them as much as we can in a lot of different ways. So that's just a few things that I've noticed with um, my first three months this year as being a, a, a pandemic counselor, to say to say the least. And one other thing I want to tie in there also is this could bring the best out of you as a counselor. You can learn different t- tricks or implement different programs so that way you could possibly implement them the following year or the next year. Like for myself, I did virtual college visit for my kids. The reason why I did that is so I could cover uh, Georgia Department of Education's requirement for dual enrollment. I interviewed a lot of state colleges as far as Fort Valley, uh, Southern Crescent Technical College, uh, Clayton State, Gordon College, um, Wells Hatfield, also State, and, and Albany. And we. I had them on to talk about uh, their enrollment requirements, dorm life, tuition, and of course, dual enrollment. I also had FAMU on there. Uh, FAMU's out of state, of course, but my principal went to FAMU and a, a good number of staff members that went to FAMU, so I had to appease them. So that was one of my first choices for college where I wanted to go, but I didn't go. I was accepted, but I couldn't go because the the cost at that time. But the, college, the virtual tours were pretty cool. Some technical glitches as far as um, Zoom being blocked on the kids' Chromebooks, so we had to adjust and use um, different sites, such as use our Google Meets platform, or or you know we just stream it that way. Or the kids were able to when Zoom was active as a trial for our district, the kids were able to get in, get into some of the um, sessions. But but being a virtual counselor during this pandemic has has we'll give you some ideas on different ways to do stuff, so that way. You could implement it next year without, say, for instance, trying to actually physically invite recruiters and admissions counselors to your building where they could say, I forgot this on my calendar, something came up, they don't contact you. Whereas with a, a virtual visit, it's on their schedule, this is their job to do, and that way you're guaranteed to have those kids there and you'll be able to take care of them. We'll be right back with Derek Francis.
And welcome back to the Council's Connection. I am your host, Amy Vicks. I have a very special guest on tonight. I have a good friend of mine from the great state of Minnesota. We have Derek Francis. Derek, what's the business, man? Not much. Just uh, the grind of, of the school year. That's about it. Uh, that, that's been it. Just staying busy. How about you? I'm doing well, man. Uh, before we get get started, I just want to ask you, how you how is, how are you doing with this uh, virtual world right now, being a virtual counselor um, during this pandemic? Honestly, I miss people. <clears throat> I miss students. I miss being around our team. And so it's just hard to uh, try to build human connections over the internet. And so I, I, I know we have to be safe um, because we've had cases go up here in Minneapolis area. So, um, but yeah, I miss it. It's hard. It's especially these, these topics that keep coming up that you just want to be there with students to talk about. It's hard not to be. So that's how I'm feeling. Well, right during the pandemic, I, 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 like, like we just said, we're going to, we're going to go on a whole different things, but what is the toughest thing to deal with right now? during this pandemic? What's the toughest thing in your opinion that we have to deal with as a counselors, as counselors right now? What I've noticed and heard uh, is just getting a hold of students. Um, it's just hard where we <clears throat> have students that aren't engaged virtually and so just not logging in. And so that's the hardest part. And, and I encourage folks to just be persistent still, call, uh, try every measure you can, ask the students' friends if they've seen them. It's just tough. So I'd say that's one of the most challenging parts. Uh, and then also I'd say uh, there's a lot of grief going on because students and families are losing people. And so we're navigating grief during this time and everyone's missing out on that human interaction, even just a hug. And so I think those are the things that are most challenging. And so... But also in this time, I always think whenever you're in hard situations, there's, it's about perspective. And I think <laughs> the, re the perspective they have in this time too, just for it to slow down and, and look inward and think about, okay, what are some things I can do to develop myself, connect with students and <clears throat> build relationships, maybe even have a weekly check-in, play games, get to know them a little bit more. So. I think that's some of the things we can do is just dig deeper into our relationships um, during the slowdown time. All right, cool. Um, for those that might not know you, I met you through Steve, and Steve has uh, introduced me to a lot of folks. Um, it's been pretty cool to start for this, for this venture. This is my second year doing podcasts, and I, my goal was to just do a lot more interviews and get a lot more different perspectives from counselors all over, not just what I see in Georgia or whatnot. I just want to see what it's like in, like, Maryland had Diane Reese on a couple weeks ago. Wow, that's a legend, man. <laughs> yeah, I got lucky. I got lucky on her. Uh, Roberto Aguilar had her. Uh, him, excuse me, had him um, a couple weeks ago from Oregon. I, of course, I had uh, Brian Coleman and okay. Steve, Steve and John Nawasu. Wow, uh, that's um, awesome. I'm, I'm trying to just get a different perspective of what counseling looks like in different states versus what I see in Georgia. <laughs> Because yeah. I, I, I was a military brat and I lived all over, so I just try to see see things in yeah. different perspective. So, tell me about your why. You want to know what it's you like know. up here in Minnesota? You want to know? know? I know it's cold for one thing. I know, I know it's cold. If I could take you to see the snow, it's snowing outside right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like 
I, I'll show you. It's snowing, snowing, man. <laughs> this is Minnesota for you, baby. This is our second snowstorm of the year. So, and it, we had one in October. Here's uh, here's my backyard. And so that's it right now, man. You think I'm kidding? You think we play about this? Look at that. Hold that, hold that picture right there. Hold that picture right there. Don't seem like he. This is Minnesota, man. Look at this. <clears throat> that's that's crazy. Hold on. This is right now. I'm gonna put my shoes. I'm gonna put my shoes on to turn the light on for you. That's crazy. Oh, I'm gonna turn on the light. Give me one second. Let me put my shoes on. Turn on the light. <laughs> All right, let me show you now. I turned the lights on and off so you can see it with the lights lit up. But yeah, here you go. That's Minnesota right now. Wow. That, that yeah, man. Crazy. You think we play around when we say it's, it's snowy here? Look at this. Just coming down. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, that is crazy. Man, this is, yeah, and it's, it's said more to come. And it's, oh, I gotta go turn out the lights one second. Come to it. I don't want to try to remember. Lights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so first and foremost, that's Minnesota for you. And then, uh, man, school counseling here in Minnesota. Um, grab a seat. Let me tell you what it's like here. <clears throat> Good thing we got number time. None but time. I, I don't got none but time, but I guess this is, this is something that uh, I think that's been funny because a lot of people, when I connect with them about Minnesota, and I tell them, like, there's not a lot of diversity here in school counseling, I, I really mean it. I mean, there's not a lot at all. And I'm, I'm 34, and I went to be a school counselor at age 25. I had not seen a uh, counselor of color when I was 25 in the whole state ever in my life. And then um, when I went to grad, so it wasn't until grad school that I met a counselor of color. And so <clears throat> the thing about Minnesota too, I didn't have a, I had one teacher my whole life that was of color. Most of the schools that I went to in the area I was in was predominantly white. Um, and so, oh no, oh, so then just being mindful of that here. <clears throat> and so even, uh, in schools, a lot of the times, just the, the strategies and the conversations that that I have with students, uh, I can tell they hunger for that real, authentic, cross-cultural connection. But also, students of color, that gravitation pull of like, man, someone like me to talk about emotions and feelings in college and school with. Um, that's something that, um, again, it, it's I enjoy but then also the landscape of school counseling here is not as progressive as other spaces. You know, we, we, we just, um, I think it's just, we're, we're growing and getting better at some of the things, but 
even our association, our board, I don't think they had had a person of color on it till I joined in 2012. And so it's really slow here around just getting up to date on doing uh, some of the proactive things in school counseling. So I'd say it's that. <clears throat> I'd say also um, our schools, uh, our ratios are high, super high. I think we're the third highest in the country. So some of our schools, I mean, my highest case low was 550 at a high school. Um, so that that's another challenge is having some of the big high schools with um, high case loads. So, so that okay. that's to start in a nutshell. Did I lose you? Hello? Here. Yeah, do, do we need to start over? No, 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 I was asking. So you've basically been a school counselor since you were 26. Yeah, I started, I finished grad school at 27. Yeah, 27, yep, 27 I finished. And then, uh, wow, man, wow, yeah. And then I went into grad school. So um, I was, uh, I went into school counseling. So finished grad school, went to school counseling, and I started at North High uh, here in Minneapolis. Wow, that's that's crazy. So you've been in the game about seven, eight years. You're in a less diverse field in that state, and you're trying to make it more diverse. What things do you think your state needs to do right now to try to diversify uh, our field of count school counseling? Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest challenge here is just our school programs need to do a better job of getting students, people of color, into the program. Um, and I think not only that, just retaining them and, and so and having content that's, uh, that's really rooted in um, anti-racism, multicultural counseling. Uh, but then I also think uh, being mindful of when the program's offered, because I think you have to uh, be aware of people from underrepresented populations, maybe not being able to have the privilege to say, hey, I'm going to quit working to to go to a program full time. So maybe even having part-time options and, and afternoon courses and things like that because that way you can get more of a diverse field of people. Uh, I think the other thing is being uh, intentional about our state's demographics and, and knowing that it's important that we're, we're <clears throat> having the content curriculum match the needs of our students, our, our students that are in need. And so that would be another key component I think of doing more recruitment and uh, getting more uh, counselors of color. I think it's really important that we <clears throat> do that outreach uh, and have affinity spaces. And also, uh, I think it has to be something that programs and, and districts really buy into, that they're gonna hire the school counselors. Because we do have some school counselors here in Minnesota of color and, and they're not getting hired. You know, our largest school district um, hasn't hired a school counselor of color since me, and I might have been the first one they hired, you know, and I don't, I, they have maybe one right now out of 50, and they're the largest district in the state. So that's the other big thing is folks aren't hiring them up here like that. And so that's, I think that's one of the biggest issues is that people here don't really, um, they, there's that bias in hiring. There's bias within school counseling up here, super heavy, you know. Even when, you know, if I'm going real deep on y'all, our lobbyists, you know, I was on the school counseling board and our lobbyists that we had 
were supporting private prisons. And I was like, come on, y'all, we can't have them. And the board wasn't understanding of the, the, uh, the, um, the, the pipeline of, of just black and brown boys being pulled over by the police by even more higher proportion rates, especially here in Minnesota, and how that leads to overpopulating these prisons. And so those are some of the conversations that we navigate all the time here. If I told you Arizona still has the highest ratio in the country, what would you say about that right now? I feel for them. I feel for the counselors there because that's got to be challenging. And not only that, I feel for the – oh, I got a toy underneath the couch. I feel for the kids there and the families. Goodness, especially when school comes back in um, and your ratios are so high. Think about the students who are going to be there like, man, like – there'll be more need for, for students to see their school counselor and get support and get in routines again for school and, and have friendships and, and those kind of things and mental health support. So I think if the ratios that, and I, I, to be really honest, I'm really happy Jill Biden is really supporting school counselors and because we're gonna need that more than ever starting when the pandemic uh, ends and we go back into schools, mental health can be a huge concern. Yeah, that's that's probably gonna be a topic I'm gonna drop on my next podcast. Just talk about ratios and um, Joe Biden, uh, President Elect, is saying we need to get more counselors in the schools because of the mental health crisis we're dealing with with um, COVID nineteen. I'm 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 gonna talk about it next. Week. I don't want to take up your time, but we're gonna talk about it with you today. We could go on the whole forty five minute just just on ratios and diverse ratios and um. I don't know where a word I want to use as far as the disproportionate number of. Um, councils of color in the, in those states in our um, especially like Arizona New Mexico Minnesota Texas um, I could say Georgia too because right now I, I was trying to do a little bit of research and we had 260 male black male counselors oh wow 20, I think it was 2300 black female counselors I think it was 2300. I, I could be wrong. My oh. numbers might be a little off. But I, I know we only had 230, 263 males. I think it was 1,300 black females. Might be 2,300 uh, white females. Wow, that's like the kind that. of data. How did you, Who put that kind of data together for y'all? Because we need that here. Uh, your uh, State Department of Education, <laughs> they should have it. Oh, man, I'm going to ask them. Department of Education, I'm going to ask them because that would be great data for me to get. That's, that's, that's public record, really. And okay. Just, just requesting on the site, give them about five minutes a day. Mine came in two, and I was looking at it, and I um, got something I was on last year with it, and that's still, beyond was still a problem. And like I said, we, I could, that's a whole other topic we could go into as far as what can we do to get more counsel of color, especially male counsel of color, into the, the field versus keeping male counselors as counselors instead of throwing them in admin roles, because that's, that's the the big bugaboo to me as far as they see as a black male, uh, they want us in a leadership role when we might be more effective as a counselor versus an admin. Yeah. And, oh, look at me wrong. Guess good black male ad admin, black admin, admin of color, but at the same time, we need those roles filled by those those same um, demographics versus hiring somebody fresh off the uh, street and 
Another one, I'll, I'll fresh all the street and thing, but at the same time, you're gonna you're gonna do that. Keep the same demographic of, of your building, so that way you can meet the needs of those specific specified students or whatnot. Yeah, and I think you know the other thing, especially because if you look at the data um, and what I've noticed too, uh, students of all backgrounds, but especially boys, are hungry for relationships. But I think that male bonding relationship. And not only that, I think that I know boys, especially my presence, I feel it when I stepped onto, onto a high school campus. And I love it, that, that instant affinity and connection. And they see someone that looks like them and dresses like them and likes to play basketball like them. That kind of affinity, they're like, man, I need to hold, I want to hold on to that. It's funny just when I would come into the room and, and students just the, the relationship we built from just being able to talk and they'd be able to share things that I feel uh, by having a male presence, especially African-American boys to be like, man, there's a positive person here at school that is going to connect with me and talk feelings and emotions and tell me it's okay to have those kinds of conversations. That is something that um, I think I, I love. I relish that because um, the trauma, the trauma that we carry, and I say we as an African-American men, African-American boys, is heavy, you know? And just not only that, what other race in our country do they sit you down and say, hey, before we, you leave the house, make sure you be careful, put your hands on the wheel. All these warnings you got to carry with you, and then you watch the validation of why it's, you're warned on TV. And so that's what's carried with them and us. And so that's why I think we need more African-American male counselors. We need more Asian male counselors of all backgrounds, Korean, Chinese. Uh, I'm telling you, it's really important that we do that. Not saying our white colleagues can't do the work, but I think we're the point we're at right now in our country, I think we need to encourage and lift up educators from different backgrounds so that we can do this work collectively and grow from each other. That's a perfect segue to what, what, what you're going to talk to us about tonight with cross-cultural relationships. Tell us a little about, about, that, um, about that platform. Yeah, I think um, the, the reason that became important to me is because I worked at North High in Minneapolis to start my career, four years working there. And during my time at North, it was 95% students of color, so 95% Black students. And it was something that came so natural and comfortable and, and just, I felt it was like family. And so with that came teaching um, about race from a different perspective than I do now. Cause with the students there, it was more like at home where it's like, hey, you know, when we go on this college tour, y'all, <laughs> I would give them that talk. I'd be like, hey, we, when we go on this college tour, don't act up. Y'all know what it's gonna look like in there. Y'all know they're gonna be looking at us. I would give students that talk before we went on. And the main thing in the cafeteria, I'd be like, hey, don't be trying to pack a bunch of cookies. If you do, be slick about it. Put it in your purse. Wrap it up in a bag. I, I tell them, like, you know, you know they're going to be looking at it. They're going to be watching us. Be careful, y'all. Come on. So when I moved to – and so we would, have, we would have a lot of real conversations about race, and it was really natural, authentic, easy. And then – when I went to Champlain Park High School, 60% white, 40% students of color, I started realizing I was having the, those same kinds of conversations with the students of color there. It would happen more and go deeper because they were experiencing racial stress 
from students at school. We would have, we have multiple racial incidents that kept happening. And the students were like, man, look what this student put on social media. Look what I got called today. Uh, look what's on Twitter. What, look what made the news. So that's the reason why it's important that uh, we teach students how to have cross-cultural connection. And it comes from building a relationship, but also comes from us as school counselors, helping them build those relationships, teaching them about other people from different backgrounds and learning about other people's identities and their cultural uh, narratives. Uh, we can, we do that as counselors. And then we also teach them the, the anti-racist skills of, hey, this word means that. That's why we shouldn't be having you say that. And you know what? This is the history of, of people from this country. Uh, and this is the reason why we don't say negative things about people from these countries or these parts of our, so those kind of things, we educate, not just say, hey, don't say that. We educate them. This is why, how those words feel. We time the emotions. So that's why I see our job as school counselors, because I've seen the, the beauty on the other side, where uh, watching students from different backgrounds connect, not just to play sports, but to do homework together, to walk around in the hallway together, holding hands together. So that's why I think it's important that we, we teach them those skills, because our world is inherently racist, and we have to unlearn it. What is probably the most, I know building that relationship with students, um, having to have a basic, keep 100 talks and everything. What is the one thing about this platform that you feel that can carry over for the next, what's that next cohort? Was that the class of 2028? We'll just use that as, as a, um, I'll, go, I'll go even deeper. What about this, this middle, this, um, I'm trying to think of the word I want to use on this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not thinking straight for some reason. The, no, the, stu the students that lost that gap, that transition from elementary to middle and middle to high. Mm -hmm. What can we do to help bridge that, help close those, um, close that relationship building apart because they lost pretty much half a year of school with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So relationship building for them or for us, uh, counselors with them? Um, either, either side, however you, want to, however you want to answer. Yeah, and I think this is a, I think one of the things to do would be, I think we need to foster chill hangout times for kids to socially interact. I think they're at a point where um, we really need to help kids know how to just connect with, with each other during this virtual time. So maybe it's just setting up conversation starters for them during during this space, giving them small groups to say, hey, this group, have kids sign up for a group. Like, hey, what's a group that you're really excited about that we're going to meet in this group every week and just talk about the things you like to talk about? That way they're just finding some of those connections, not losing those social skills, because I think, I think also helping them maintain a schedule during this time. I think there's so many things we could do right now to curve some of that uh, that social emotional stress they're feeling. So giving them a calendar of, hey, here's what you're going to do today. Um, because so many of them, if they don't have that schedule, then it's you're one click away from being on the internet and watching YouTube. So that's why it's really important that they have schedules of what are they doing? When am I in class? When am I going to do my homework? When am I taking a break? When am I meeting with friends? Because even I know for myself, if I don't have a schedule throughout the day during this time, First couple of days of the pandemic, I was laying on the couch, eating chips, hanging out. I had Sports Center on in the background. 
Um, and I knew I needed to get a schedule. And so I'm really glad I did. So that's some of the things I think we can do to help them with building relationships, but also doing some self-care. And what does your self-care look like? Uh, my self-care, um, praying, to be honest with you, wow. That, I think that's been the best part about the pandemic. I got closer, a lot closer with God. So that's amazing. Uh, and so, um, but also um, making sure I take time to spend uh, quality hangout time with my daughter. That's been the best self-care. Um, taking her to different parks, trying different restaurants, um, joking together. That's been amazing. And I also spend time with my mom. Um, my daughter and my mom, we all, we try to hang out every weekend. And so that's been amazing being able to do that, watching my daughter and my mom connect. Um, and so that's been, and then being outside, riding my bike, listening to live music. Uh, I have some friends that are musicians here. And one of my good friends, she's, she's doing a Whitney Houston cover show on Sunday. So it's always nice to go check out musicians and stuff like that. So that's my main vibe. Is, is music and chill, bike, hang out with my people, uh, that kind of stuff. I ain't gonna lie to you. I already know your answer to this, but I'm gonna ask this since you're in Minnesota, you already know what I'm gonna ask. Prince or Michael? <laughs> I, you know what? People here in Minnesota can hate me all they want. I'm a Michael Jackson fan over Prince. I am. I, I love Prince, and he's got that hometown vibe. Um, but here's the thing. I've driven to 2300 Jackson Street. I haven't been to Paisley Park, <laughs> but I went to 2300 Jackson Street. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, I love Michael Jackson, man. I also... I'll say this about, about those two. They're great in their own right. Yeah. I like this. Prince was the better musician. Yeah. Yeah. Michael, I, yeah. I was a, a great performer. Yeah. Yes. 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 I if, get I, if I had to tell Mike, I need you to play three different instruments on this set, he'd look at me crazy. Yeah. Different answers, but he can't play yep. the different. Prince can break out the bass guitar, lead guitar, piano. Saxophone, trumpet, clarinet, clap, clavicle. And, and I think that's the thing why people here, because he set the music scene here. Most of the musicians I know here are like, oh, yeah, I, I played with Prince or I've, I've been to his house. Because, like, even the, the people I know, I mean, there's a lot of musicians that he's influenced on the ground level here. Uh, and, and he would just pop up at, there's a place called Bunkers it's like Prince would pop up and it's just like that it's here. And then he'd have after shows at his house. And so that, I think it's awesome. He's a heck of a musician. I just, Michael Jackson was just iconic for me. Just, just, you know, I, I just, I saw him. He was, that was when the name Michael was just the thing. You had Michael Jordan, Michael Jackson, Mike Tyson. And so I was like, man, Michael, Michael Jackson is just the guy. So that's, and I knew all his songs too. And then when that human nature came out, why, why? Tell him that it's human nature, why, why? What did he do with that away? Reaching oh. out. Don't let me touch 
cash. I need to make give me a little side hustle, be an agent. And I got I got there. I met a yeah, singer counselor. He a singer counselor. Matter of fact, I just thought of a good question before we get you off the line. Uh -huh. Do you have you ever tried to use music therapy in your, uh, with your students? That is, that is next. There's a guy named Ian Levy. And I just been reading into his stuff about music. And I've done a little bit before where I've had students where they would tell me, they would have songs they listened to when they were feeling down and we talked about how that feels. But I'm telling you, music therapy is going to be amazing. I look forward to doing that. And I would always just play music in my office. And I had, I had an ox, my office was like a living room. And so kids would hook up their, when I was at North, hook up their ox cord and we jam out. And so I really enjoy music and singing with kids. And they, so I really think it's important that we do that. But the other thing is helping them pick, share their story through songs, give them lyrics, especially lyrics to songs they listen to and have them talk about what line or stanza stands out to them, what words stand out to them. Look up those words. How do you relate to the emotions of that word? you know, and then let them tie in their own stories. I think we can use music because um, it's a way to express, especially for our students who, who don't have the words naturally. And especially for someone like me, who's an extrovert and it comes easier, I need to make sure I give them tools to get them prepared for expressing their emotions. And so that's why I think if music is an avenue, we need to utilize it more. Man, Derek, I appreciate you coming on, hey, man. One, I'm, we need to get some cash off you. We need to, we need to get some cash off you. Um, we're gonna call it Baby Dare Productions. Need <laughs> some side hustles around here, man, because the pandemic ain't no. Right, I hear you, man. You, if anything, you should sell us get in the kitchen. My cooking game, man. If I wasn't a school counselor, I'd be a chef. I used to work on food trucks, like school counselor. I love it, but uh, my first, well, I'd say my first. My, I never thought I'd be a school counselor. I didn't know till, like I said, 24, I went, 24, 25, I went to grad school. And then, um, but I was gonna be a news anchor. That's what I went to school for. I was, I was, in, I got my degree in broadcast communications. So it just works out that uh, school counseling is a lot of talking and connecting with people. Uh, but then also I love to cook. Like I worked on food trucks. I worked in the restaurant, the restaurant industry for a little bit. And so um, if you like ribs, chicken, I'm, I'm a soul food kind of guy. I, I'm not the kind of person where they get, hey, we having a barbecue and they only got a little hot dogs on the grill and pre-made burger patties. When I say we grilling, we talking ribs, chicken, steak, pork chop, kebabs, you know, like, I, man, that, that breaks my heart when someone's like, hey, we, we having a barbecue and I get there, it's like pre-made burgers. I'm like, come on, like sandwiches, cold cuts. I'm like, no, when you say we barbecuing, barbecue. That, sorry, I take that to heart. That, I've been, that teases your stomach. You show up, I save my appetite. I ain't eating, man. I'm going to this barbecue later. I ain't eating. You get there, man. Man, dang. I'm going, to, I'm going Popeye's on the ride home. <laughs> I, got, I got one job for you. I got one job for you. Well, well two. Two. Um, you need to find a way for ASCA to get the conference in Minnesota so we can come to your house and... Oh, I'll throw a party here for all of ASCA. Oh, my. Indoor, outdoor. I got a garage. I got a big backyard. Oh, my. I would, oh, I would host it. Yeah, we'll find a spot. We'll find a spot. And two, 
when it, you know, you know the conference the year after it is in Atlanta, I believe it's in Kansas City. Oh, that's close to here. That's great barbecue. That's yeah. amazing barbecue. Yes. The year, the year before Atlanta is in Texas. Austin, right? Austin. Austin's amazing. I'm still holding out hope that they have it this year. You know where it's at? Yeah, because you, you know I'm an ambassador for Scooter, so hopefully if I get, get chosen to, to present for, for ASCA and they still have it, I, I think they're going to have it. I, I really do. Because um, I think, it, 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 um, you know, they got a cure. They pretty much say they got 90% um, effective. Thank I God. Think, I think they I, I think they're going to have it this year. And I, if it's in Vegas, I need to make sure I put aside about two stacks. Two stacks. Let it they be got, in Vegas. Man. I got to go. We got, I got to take it easy. I, I don't – here's the thing, though, because I'm, I'm very I'm, – I'm a circle person. So if I go out to Vegas, I'll go out, but I ain't going to go out, out, unless I'm with my circle. Because, man, I can't be presenting at ASCA, then be out there one day, and then be like, not with ASCA people, man. I got I to gotta keep my circle small. Man, did you go to Boston uh, last I've, year? I've never been to ASCA. I don't, I've never met any of the folks for ASCA in person. This is I just started coming on the scene this year. So I'm brand new. I haven't been to ASCA. All these folks, I've never met them in person. Man, I went to um my my previous district I was at for two years. I, I went to LA. Yeah. I, to, I, I didn't want to come back, of course. How was I it? I didn't want to come back. I didn't want to come back um because of the diversity. The one thing the diversity. You can walk the street, everybody nice and because we our hotel we stayed at was the Sheridan, I think. And the 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 conference hotel was the Western. That was booked off the off the top. Well, luckily we got the Sheridan at, at Asqueray, but it was downtown. It was literally around everything. I was like four miles from from Staples. Wow, CLBJ, LBJ, that's what's up. Well, I hope they have it in Vegas this year because if they do, we gotta link up. I would love to connect while we there. I, I mean, we if, if they say in February, March, I, I, I think they're gonna have it. To be honest, I think I think they. Uh, it, of course, we know what ASCA is dealing with. It's, it's just any other corporation's money. So yeah. I think they're going to look at it. They're probably going to limit who, who's probably going to come. Probably, I think they probably figured out a way to do a hybrid so that way you could do a live session and do it. That's even better. That's even better. That's Oh, man, that's smarter. I might, I might throw it out there to them. And, and if, they, if, they, um, if, they have, if they have a dish in Vegas – I know I'm going. I already look, I already have my budget set. What I need to save for the next six months. Six I'm going. Months. I will. I'm I'm in there. I'll drive Uber for two three weeks just to. I'll drive Uber on New Year's night just to do it. Kill on New Year's night. You make killer. I know. I used to drive Uber. I used to drive Uber. Uh, the first time I drove. One time. The first night I ever did uh, New Year's for Uber. Made like five hundred dollars when the Super Bowl was here. I made a thousand dollars in two days driving for Uber. I can believe it, it, was, it, was, it was. Oh yeah, snow. There was a snowstorm and everything. I was driving around the clock. It was. I couldn't. I came home. I was like, man. And that that's not even with tips. And so yeah, Uber. I'm telling you, that's a that was a when it was when I was. I used to grind, man. I used to drive Uber, uh, and I loved it. But man, Derek, I appreciate you coming on, man. We got to link up for real on the real. We got to link up. I appreciate you coming on tonight, man.
No problem, man. I'll see you in Vegas. Hopefully, I'll talk to you before then. That's a bet. We'll All right. Right, we'll be right back with more Council Connection right after this. This is the part of the show where we do some housekeeping. No, we're not cleaning up while we're doing this show because I won't be able to do the show if I'm cleaning up right now. But of course, you can follow me on the Twitter at FaveThePSC. You can follow my podcast on Anchor, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, Apple Podcasts. You can also find my website, Fabe the Counselor, that is F A B as in boy E, the counselor.weebly.com. You can also drop us a line through Anchor and ask some questions about school counseling or education or anything you feel like you want to ask. We'll put it on the show and answer it the, next, the following week. That's a feature nobody has yet to use, and I would love for you all to use that feature so you know we can communicate and converse in that form or fashion of course we are always given opportunity to administrators or other counselors or educators to come on the podcast and discuss their why and their relationship with school counselors and how they see education changing and of course that's a big question now with um the election this past week we had and that's going to be my parting shot when we come back. Fabe's final thought. I'm sitting here at home and it's November 7th, 2020. As I record this, it is 1.45 in the afternoon. And after five days of counting votes, and they're still counting votes right now, They have projected, finally, that Joe Biden will be the new president of the United States on January 20th, 2021. He is the president-elect. He is the oldest president in American history. He is the fourth president to, president-elect, excuse me, to defeat an incumbent president. Last time that happened was in 1992 when William Clinton defeated George H.W. Bush. Of course, that was the father of George W. Bush. And my final thought is not on Joe Biden. Of course, we know he served in in Congress for 40 plus years. He was Mr. Obama's vice president. And we know the history of Joe you could say a lifelong politician for the last 40 years um, you know the history had an aneurysm in the 80s almost died doctors gave 50 50 chance to live um, his wife died in a tragic car accident when he was um, his first few years as senator um, was married to dr jill biden who was in favor of education and i'm gonna get to that possibly in a few months when when they actually take office i want to know their vision for us education and her thoughts on how do they see school counselors I want to I would wish I had access to to her and talk about her her feelings and what she envisions for education because I think that's probably going to be her platform as the first lady when she when she steps into that role in in January but I want to talk about the first African-American female 
the first female, the first Native American person to hold the office of vice president as Kamala Harris, the first vice president who is a child of immigrants. This is this is great. Everybody's we we beat Trump and really we get into how does that affect his policies and the changes he want to make when the House of House Representatives took a hit and we only have 220 Democrats and the Senate seats are still up for grabs, believe it or not, with Georgia is having going to have two runoffs in January. But what I really want to talk about is. Hashtag Black Girl Magic. She she took a lot of hits early in the campaign when she was running for president, and a lot of black males did not like that because she was strict on crime and didn't like her ideals and this type of stuff. She was a hard person to to get behind. But is that a Don't want to sound jerkish when I say that. Is is that a byproduct of male chauvinism? Is that a product of a superiority complex that we we feel? I'm not saying myself, but think that females can't do the same job as a male can do. When in fact, if you look at research, black women are the most highly educated but yet highly underpaid demographic in this country. We have so many black women that are so educated but yet take the hits as far as competency, sexism, genderism, just blatant lack of opportunity to show the work that they can do if given an opportunity. If you really want to be transparent, be honest in my thinking, let's look at Stacey Abrams, who should be the MVP of of this election right now for what she did for Georgia for the last two years for the um, program she put in place to guard our votes and make sure that everybody got out to vote, that every vote mattered, and we didn't take it lightly. As you noticed, Georgia voted for a Democratic candidate what the Democratic candidate won in Georgia for the first time since Bill Clinton in 1992. We had a we had a, a black presidential candidate in Barack Obama, and he still couldn't win Georgia twice. Now, is that possibly a byproduct of voter suppression and and any type of new age Jim Crow of folks trying to vote or folks just? didn't feel like they needed to vote for Obama because they knew he was going to win. Same thing with Hillary Clinton. You want to go into sexism or anything like that, but I'm digressing a little bit to get to my point. Let's just take a moment and look at the history we just made this week. Kamala Harris looks like us. And she's going to be the second in command of the United States. We need to do everything we can to protect her. The same motorcade that Obama had back in 2008-2012 needs to be the same one that she has. Of course, she might turn that joker pink and green on the inside, but 
for those that don't know, she's a AK and they're gonna be unbearable for at least for the next four years. So I'm cool with y'all AK, but y'all y'all gonna be off the chain now. But we need to have the same reverence for her as we did for Barack Obama. Because this is history that we just made without realizing because we're so there are people that are so happy to get Donald Trump out of office, we are sliding the accomplishment that just happened with Kamala Harris. Now, girl, little girls now and going forward, it's a lot of history been made with women, with Jeannie Buss being the first female owner to win an NBA, to have an NBA champion team with the Lakers. That's great and awesome, but Jeannie Harris doesn't look like us. Jeannie Harris doesn't look like my wife or Jeannie Harris doesn't look like my daughters or Jeannie Harris doesn't look like my sisters or anything like that but Kamala does and to put the icing on the cake she's went to an HBCU so anybody that's doubting going to an HBCU would take you anywhere just look at Kamala Harris she's next door to the White House right now I want to thank you for listening to my podcast today. I want to thank Derek Francis for popping in with me. And I'm out.